Welcome to Bayou Business Download, a podcast from the Greater Houston Partnership where we dive into the data and analytics influencing our region's economy. Today is Wednesday, February 15th. I'm your host, AJ Mistretta, and I'm joined once again today by Partnership Chief Economist Patrick Jankowski. In this episode, we're taking a look at a few key numbers from 2022 and discussing what they suggest about how Houston finished the year. Patrick, first off, how was your Valentine's Day? It was wonderful. I gave my wife some Alstomeria. If those of you who watched the TikTok video know what I mean by that. And uh, we went out to a vegan restaurant because that's what my wife prefers. And so it was a wonderful evening. Awesome. That's great. For those that didn't watch TikTok, what is Alstomeria? Uh, it's called Lily of the Incas. It's a beautiful flower that, like a good marriage, lasts forever. <laughs> there we go. There we go. That's awesome. Well, Patrick, now that we have most of the data for 2022, you dive into a lot of metrics in the most recent issue of Economy at a Glance to kind of paint a picture of where we stood coming into 2023. For our purposes to here today, I want to focus on four numbers and what they tell us. Let's start off with one of the engines of our local economy tied to transportation, air travel. We should remind our listeners that Houston is one of only a handful of cities in the nation with two international airports. Certainly our airports and their broad connectivity help us with a lot of business. What do the year-end traffic numbers for Bush and Hobby airports show? Okay, so the Houston airport system had a really good year last year. Uh, we handled uh, approximately 54 million passengers. That's up 9 million from the year before. That's a jump of, of 20%, which is just a really nice increase. We're still down a little bit from where we were prior to the pandemic. We're short about 5.5 million passengers. But I kind of look at that five and a half million passengers and say that's kind of the Zoom effect. Mm. Uh, that's the result of uh, during the pandemic, we realized we did not have to travel to conduct business meetings. And so uh, for all intents and purposes, we're, we're back to what would be a, a new normal of traffic through the airport system. We are starting to finally see some pickup in international growth. It had lagged for a little bit. Uh, international growth it was actually up 41% last year, international growth, international passenger traffic. Uh, and that's it's good to see because it means we're, we're having our reach, our outreach to the rest of the global community is, is getting stronger. It might be interesting for our, our listeners to know that one in every five passengers the airport handles is someone who's traveling internationally. Hmm. No, that's interesting. So I think probably it's safe to say that domestic traffic picked up first, right, as the pandemic began to wane. And then as other countries relax restrictions, as the U.S. relaxed its restrictions, some of that international growth really picked up in 2022. AJ, you nailed it on the head. You could be an economist. <laughs> I don't know about that. We'll, we'll give it a try one day. <laughs> okay. Come on by my right. office. I'll show you my spreadsheets. So we've talked a little bit about the rental or multifamily market in recent episodes, but it's such a strong barometer for where things are headed. So I, I want to return there for a minute. Uh, first, maybe explain to our listeners why looking at the multifamily market is a good indicator and what the new numbers actually illustrate. Okay, multifamily is good because it tells me if, if I watch the multifamily market, it gives a hint as to what may be happening elsewhere in the economy. For example, we're seeing the Class A apartment market, the, the nicest, the newest, the highest amenities. We saw absorption rise significantly through mid-year and then drop off. It rose through mid-year because people were being priced out of houses were moving into Class A, Class A apartments. Hmm. But my concern is it's dropping off and 
one of the worries I have looking at the drop off is maybe population growth is dropping off as well. It's not as strong as it was earlier in the year. Population growth, meaning that the number of people moving to the region. There's also something known as a B and C property. Hmm. B and C are often referred to as working class properties or working class apartments tend to be blue collar. And we've had negative absorption with class B and C since the beginning of last year. So I start to think about and I start to look at that and two things jump out of that. For one thing, it says that we didn't realize just how much all the pandemic stimulus and relief had helped lift the, the working class out of their, their, their poverty or out of their their, their, strong, their struggles to get by. Yeah. Uh, also, what it's telling me is that maybe that there's a lot more inflation stress out there than we realize for, for, the, uh, for the working class. You know, as someone who, who's middle class or someone who is white collar, they have more choices. They can uh, deal with inflation a little bit better. But those who are already scraping to get by and when prices go up, uh, they have fewer options. And, and I think that's one of the things we're seeing with this negative absorption in Class B and C we've seen all of last year and continue to see into this year. Let's talk just a little bit more about multifamily. And a concern that I have that I'm seeing out there is that we're in danger of overbuilding for multifamily. When I say multifamily, I'm talking about apartment complexes. Uh, right now, we have uh, over 20,000 units under construction, but we've only absorbed over the last 12 months roughly 3,200. So if the absorption rate continues to stay depressed and the amount that we're constructing continues to stay at a very high level, we're going to start to see some real pressure on rents. And I say that for Houston, but when I looked at the data for Dallas, I looked at the data for Austin, I looked at the data for San Antonio, it looks like across the state we're overbuilding in multifamily. So this, this upward pressure on rents that we saw in the first part of last year, we're starting to see significant downward pressure on rents. And that's, as we've talked about before, when you begin to see concessions and other things uh, play into the, the dynamic. Well, well exactly. It, it creates opportunities. It creates opportunities for the developers who might end up picking up some properties that went into bankruptcy that weren't property capitalized and pro provides opportunities for renters to get in on some good deals. Right now, 31% of all apartment units in Houston have some sort of concession on them that could be free rent for a month. It could be a waiver of a security deposit. It could be an upgrade of a floor plan. So the opportunities are growing out there for renters. All right. Before we continue, Patrick, I do want to take a moment to say thank you to our Bayou Business Download sponsor, Fifth Third Bank, for helping make today's podcast possible. Learn more about Fifth Third Bank and the services they provide at 53.com. That's the numbers 53.com. A bit of a longer term indicator, Patrick, is construction contract awards. That's the dollar value of construction that's been contracted to be built, whether it's started or not. This is broken down by residential and non-residential. So I hope you can tell us a little bit about the subsectors and how they ended in 2022. Well, let's just start with, with the broad overall construction sector. There were over $38 billion worth of construction contracts let in 2022. That's up from about 30.7. And so it's a big jump. And even if you factor out the impact of inflation, we issued over $5 billion more in construction contracts last year than we did this year. Now, most of that was in non-residential construction or the growth was in non-residential construction. Uh, we issued uh, almost double the number of non-residential contracts. That could be warehouses, could be stores, manufacturing plants, you know, colleges and schools and so forth. Residential held up well 
through the first part of the year and then started to trail off the second part. We ended up the year with residential down just marginally compared to the previous year, but that kind of masked the fact that the first half of the year was really strong, the second half was weak. So in balance, we ended up just slightly down a little bit. I imagine we can point to higher interest rates for that decline in residential construction. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, higher interest rates and higher prices. What's nice to see is we're, we're not seeing a significant drop off in commercial just yet. If you want to look at where we are for the, the warehouse, the industrial space, all those big boxes that are being built out on the Katy Prairie, we have uh, roughly 33 million square feet of industrial space under construction right now. That compares to about 20 million this time last year. If you want to look at retail, retail, we have about 4.3 million square feet of retail space under construction. That's about on par with where we were this time last year. Office space, we have about 3.3 million square feet under the construction on par with where we were last year. And I say 3.3 million square feet of office space, that's probably about 3.3 million square feet more than we really need. Because mm. the office market, it's just horribly overbuilt. Uh, roughly 30% of all office space in the region is available. I mean, yeah. that, that's, that's think, think of Transco Tower and multiply that by about 30, and you get the idea of just how much office space is available in the market. Uh, I want to ask about the industrial market for a second then. Uh, you know, that's a lot of square footage under construction. What does that tell us about the interest in development in that space? Uh, you know, is, is it about logistics? Is it about warehousing? Is it about actual uh, manufacturing operations? Well, one of the things which is driving in industrial construction is that uh, we're a logistics and distribution center and we're a logistics and distribution center because one thing Houston is a large market but we have easy access to other markets in Texas easy access to San Antonio and Austin and Dallas and even to some extent uh, southern Louisiana you know the competition for industrial space remains very fierce we're still seeing rental rates growing up and so the developers are willing to put it up a little concern that with interest rates go up, we might start to see a little bit of a slowdown in construction towards the end of the year. But right now, industrial warehouse construction is staying up really strong. All right. So, Patrick, consumer sentiment is so important to our economy because it illustrates what people are feeling and how that's manifested in their actions. One of those actions is their spending, and a great way to gauge that is sales tax collections. But that metric also includes taxes collected by businesses. What do we know about sales tax collections in 2022? Okay, AJ, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up for our, our listeners. It's the fact that sales taxes are paid not just by consumers, but by businesses as well. And as consumers, we pay sales tax every time we, we, we buy clothes or paper towels or lawnmowers or books. I mean, the businesses, they're, they're paying sales taxes on office supplies, on furnitures, on computers, on, on catering. And so it's a good barometer for what's going on in the economy. Uh, we track, you know, there are 130, 140 different entities in the region which collect a sales tax, and it's, it's hard to, to track all of those. But we look at the 12 most populous cities, and the 12 most populous cities in the region, uh, they collected over $1.2 billion with the sales tax last year. That compares to $1.1 billion the year before. Yeah, inflation's had a little bit of a play in that, but if you adjust that for inflation, sales tax collections are up 5.2% compared to this time last year which means business and consumers are still spending in spite of what you may read in the paper, in spite of what you may hear on other people's podcasts, not ours, the economy is <laughs> still in pretty good shape. Uh, I do not see any indicators of dramatic slowing. I see indicators of a little bit of slowing, but we're still in pretty good shape uh, so far in 2023. 
All right. Patrick, I really appreciate you chatting with me about all this today. You know, AJ, as an economist, I'm always looking forward to something. I'm looking forward to a data release. I'm looking forward to a report. You know what I'm looking forward to now? What's that? Spring training. It starts in a matter of weeks. I think the catchers and pitchers are there already. Go Astros. I'm ready for another World Series. Absolutely, Patrick. Go Astros. And that's it for this episode of Bayou Business Download. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can do so via your favorite podcasting platform or by visiting the podcast page at Houston.org. There you'll also find links to recent news and data updates and learn how you can get more involved in the work of the partnership to make a difference in Houston. A special thanks again to our sponsor, Fifth Third Bank, for helping make this podcast possible. And thanks again to you for listening to Bayou Business Download.